Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. And I'm Eric. And apparently the force is with your microphone. Uh, this week, you know, it is getting to be the end of the year and there are just a bunch of good releases. We're going to talk about the big theatrical release this week in Wonka and the big release that's coming to Netflix on Wednesday, which is Maestro. A couple mm. of huge movies that are competitors. Uh, if you saw the Golden Globe nominations earlier this week, both these films uh, ended up with several nominations. Um, going to be out there competing. It is a very rich year uh, for for films and for award competitions. Excited to dive into these ones. You know, um, getting close to Christmas, and some of these movies feel like gifts under the tree. Not the tree at the Nakatomi Plaza. Um, you know, this is my commemorative 1988 Christmas hey, party shirt. Uh, you know, I figured some seasonal, seasonal flair uh, to get in there, but. Eric, first up is Wonka, which is now becomes the third feature film uh, to tackle the character of Willy Wonka, as given to us by Roald Dahl in his books. Most famously made a debut in 1971, portrayed by Gene Wilder in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Then in the early 2000s, Tim Burton uh, cast Johnny Depp in the role in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which yeah. is a movie that exists. Uh, this time, we are not just getting a retelling of Wonka at the height of his powers uh, as you know, a master candy maker with a vibrant factory and something of a recluse. This time, we dial it way back to a young, hopeful, optimistic, uh, people-loving Willy Wonka, yeah, who is just rolling out and trying to get started, uh, drops off a ship where he's been the ship's cook, trying to do his mother proud uh, by selling his chocolates and introducing the world to his take on chocolate, uh, runs into some difficult times with the sort of chocolate triad that try to block him at every step using the uh, chief of police, Keegan-Michael Key, and a corrupt priest played by Rowan Atkinson. Uh, if those uh, names don't don't let you know, this is uh, not a dark film, um, mm. not a sort of creepy vibe that you maybe got from Tim Burton. This is probably the most family-friendly that we've seen Willy Wonka, even though I actually think Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is a... Uh, is a pretty delightful film. This is even more delightful, family-friendly, full-on musical. Um, just a lot of fun. Uh, Willie uh, has a kind heart, which leads him to a poor living situation where he ends up an indentured servant at a laundry. There he meets a plucky young orphan who's in the same situation. They pair together with a couple of other sad souls, one of them looking an awful lot like Mr. Carson from Downton Abbey because it is, uh, to get his chocolate out to the world. Uh, and along the way, we meet a tiny orange man played by Hugh Grant. Uh, that was nothing but pure delight. I love this movie a lot. I gave it a strong thumbs up. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. I was sort of on the fence. And I have to be honest, Timothy Chalamet has not always been my favorite uh, performer. I think this is the best performance I've ever seen from him. He was a pure delight. His affectation, his performances were incredible. If he had one-tenth of this on-screen charisma for his character in Dune, that would have been a heck of a film. 
<laughs> kind of gives me hope that maybe we will get some more personality in Dune too. It's not Timothy Chalamet. It's got to have been the way the part was written. But this is just a lot of fun. I, I appreciated Rowan Atkinson, probably best known as Mr. Bean. Olivia Coleman, who plays a lot of kind of dour, serious parts, was a lot of fun in this. Um, it just, I loved the music. I loved the look, one of the most wildly creative. And in the third act, when you get the big nods to the original film, including a variation of the the key song um, from the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, got a little dusty up in my screening. But Eric, how did this film hit you? <clears throat> like a giant tidal wave of heartwarming chocolate. I'm not even uh, gonna, like it, it was... It, I had very, very low to no expectations for this until I heard that it was Paul King directing. And the spirit of that family adventure of those Paddington films is like in this. And the, so watching the movie, I sort of, it started with my expectations at a certain level. The movie began to exceed my expectations. Then it reset my expectations, hoping that it would really stick the landing. And I feel like it lived up to what I what I hoped for from where it was going, but I'm still I'm giving this one thumb up. It is a very strong, solid thumb up. And again, this is because this is it was fantastic. Like I had an absolute blast watching this, and it felt very much Hollywood and theatrical. But there is something so like warm and comforting about that. It's like it's like the Hollywood machine working in a way that is doing its best to try and be entertaining without trying to be too cheap about it. And I don't know. Like there's this whole thing with me, like there's, there's these perfect little touches like Timothy Chalamet. I think just talking about him would sum up my thoughts on the movie perfectly where the aesthetic is there. The, the writing is there, but then there's moments where, like he says, for example, well, then we have to add one more thing to our list it's to change the world. And though the delivery of that line feels a little bit like I'm a little quirky versus like imagining somebody like Gene Wilder saying that to like, you know, what happened to the little boy? Like he got everything he ever wanted. Like the way that that feels so like, I don't know, sweet. But um, I can't say that there's like it's, it's outstanding what what he pulls off. And again, I think it's it's easy to lose touch of like the larger than life world that he's in. Like there's this this idea. Willy Wonka has been traveling for seven years. He's a magician. He can just do some things um, magic wise. And I don't know. It's just so fun. And it's it's just new enough that it's not an IP that's been done over and over again. And. Olivia Coleman was amazing. I wish I'd seen more of Rowan Atkinson. And I don't think we ever once saw a person purchase chocolate from any of the three antagonists of the picture. So there's just a little bit of things here and there that I feel like we know these things exist. The story doesn't really have to explain them, but we haven't seen them. And that's where I kind of fall that like one thumb below. And I, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it is. And I think it's a lot of fun. It is a big fun for all ages film that you can see at this time of year when I have to be honest, we're getting a lot of movies uh, releasing in the next, uh, you know, in the next week, we have a battery on Friday. 
um, there's four wide releases now on Friday. And then there's three wide releases on Christmas Day. And that doesn't even include if you're in an area that gets American fiction and limited release. Not a lot of those are going to be incredibly family friendly. Even like Aquaman. I don't know how much of a kid's film that is. Yeah, right. maybe Migration. But this feels like kind of a big family film for the holiday. They're getting a little bit of a jump on it. But it feels like something like if you have all your nieces and nephews and kids and the grandparents and you need to get out of the house, you want to go somewhere you can go. And this is a delightfully good time. I agree with you that, you know, there's a little quirk to Willy Wonka. There always is going to be a little quirk, but we veered away from the, you know, maybe late stage Michael Jackson quirk that we got in the early 2000s. Yeah. Something closer to Gene Wilder. And I thought it made sense from this standpoint that you could see Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka is an older Willy Wonka who in some ways has lost a little bit of that spark toward humanity because of his experience with the world. And it's going through this process of bringing these kids in and connecting with Charlie that helps him to find it again. But brings me to my mini rant. Yeah. And this one, I want a trilogy of movies from this. I want the second one to be a massive scaled movie about Willy Wonka trying to run his factory. And the further he pushes things towards escapism, the more the world surrenders to the mundane and he can't save everyone with his candy. And then you remake Willy Wonka as the third one with Timothy Chalamet from the perspective of Willy Wonka rather than the kids and watch his like hopes rise and fall with Charlie Bucket and all of that. Um, you know, it's because there. you are right. You don't, you leave this film in a very upbeat and hopeful place. He's just building his, you know, building his factory. You know, he, yeah. he hasn't gotten to that world weary step. And I also think, you leave in a place where curiously you're going to have to bridge the gap for the whole Slugworth question because Slugworth is the antagonist in the original. And in this, he very much ends up in a prison-y kind of place. And they give you sort of the impression that it's his niece that will end up being an inheritor. You know, where does part of the hopefulness that gets lost for Willy Wonka in the path that she ends up on? Because that would make a lot of sense and you would get that darker like empire strikes back piece of the trilogy right right if you did that because somewhere you can see the bones of how one becomes the other but you you didn't get into Mm -hmm. the struggle you know the and there would be something larger about that story about that relationship between this little pocket of the world that he wants to keep because of the rest of the world is is becoming something he doesn't want to live in like there's just something there's something oh, and it was a fascinating transition for me because i went from thinking i for sure didn't need to see another willy wonka film when they announced this film to now being like you maybe they should make another one and that's yeah. you know that's quite a switch and that's quite a testament uh, to what this puts down you know i've seen some comments from hugh grant that he just did this for the money cuz he needed money oh, i don't know if he's, he's i think he's being only half serious but he was incredibly delightful and his his, he's not in a whole ton but when he is it's captivating um yeah you know and you can say that for a lot of the the names you get here i really enjoyed keegan michael key there's an apple tv plus show that my wife and i love called schmigadoon 
And this had a lot yeah. of Schmigadoon energy, especially season one. Season two is a little darker. But this had a lot of season one Schmigadoon energy. And Keegan-Michael Key makes me laugh. His number two in the police force, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was in the Lemony Snicket series of Unfortunate Events series on Netflix. And I really enjoyed him in that. He was the lawyer. Okay. In that. And so you just get a lot of these people who have done some of these brightly colored kids world slugworth in this Patterson, Joseph, a very familiar British character actor who does uh, some wonderful work. I thought he was great in that role. They really hit, um, I thought with everything, you know, all the, all the actors and the parts really worked. Um, I had a lot of fun with this one. Mm -hmm. Our next film uh, is will debut on Netflix on Wednesday. It's had a limited theatrical release. Both Eric and I managed to get to see it uh, before it goes wide on Wednesday. Kind of excited to talk about this in advance. And that is Maestro, which is the Leonard Bernstein biopic starring Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. Bradley Cooper, also the director. This is a very powerful film that I think we're, we're probably both going to say we have liked. Completely different vibe than the first uh, film yeah. in here. This is not the feel-good family film of the year. No. Um, very emotional. Uh, some incredible yeah. performances. Uh, but definitely a little bit of a more um, dour probably feel uh, at times. But Eric, this is one of the most highly anticipated films of the year, but a lot of people think it's going to be a strong contender for Best Picture at the Oscars and could actually net Bradley Cooper his first Oscar. How did it hit you? Very weirdly, because uh, without going into detail about it, my job uh, causes random spurts of sudden need of attention in the middle of anywhere. Um, I work in mental health. So when someone suddenly needs something, I, I didn't have to stop watching the movie. Okay. But it was just a situation where I'm sitting and I'm waiting and I'm having to check things and, and see like, is this a problem that needs to be situated or is it going to be okay? And then it turned out to be okay. But that means there is this pocket of like 25 minutes in the middle of this movie where I am I invested in the tone of the movie, but I can only tell you about half of what happened. So I'm going to let you take most of the lead here and say to take my opinion with a grain of salt. I am fully committed in the year 2024 to be trying to watch as many movies as I can twice uh, so that my opinion is as informed as possible. And again, you can follow me on TikTok and Twitter. If you're here, you came from somewhere. I'm there. And you can probably hear more, but it's Bradley Cooper is an outstanding director. He gives an unbelievable performance. I honestly thought I was going to be, I feel similar to Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm one of the few people who like the makeup and the affectation that, that Leonardo DiCaprio put on this year didn't really work for me in Killers of the Flower Moon. And I was kind of like, eh, I was just going to go. Um, Loved it. And then Carrie Mulligan was amazing. She was just a little more human than Daisy Buchanan. And it was, it went and made all the difference. She was, she was outstanding. And just it's at the core of their relationship. And this guy, you know, like Leonard Bernstein, like it's it's fascinating. It is extremely well directed. I uh cannot wait to watch it with undivided attention when it is released, and I think everybody else should. 
The only thing is I think that people making it like a best picture of the year thing might be setting expectations a bit too high because this is, it is an original story and it is a true to life story, but we've seen true to life stories before. And this hits a lot of similar beats to things that have happened, you know, with, with, loved ones and loss and, and aging and, and like there, I, I couldn't place my finger on any one movie that encompasses this, but everything felt sort of familiar, but impressive. So how about you? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of different kinds of biopics. There's ones that are heavily invested in telling you the story of somebody's life and personal achievements and then there's biopics that are heavily invested in one specific aspect. And I think we talked about this when we were talking about the kind of dueling Elvis films. If you watched Elvis from 2022, that was very much about the man's career accomplishments. And you got a sense of his personal life. They invested somewhat in the strife between him and Colonel Parker, but it was mostly about this is his career and his big career-defining moments. In Priscilla, it was very much about these two people. And you're going to think that's probably an interesting comparison when you see how I score this movie versus what I thought. That did not totally work for me. Here, this one's very much the latter. It is about... Leonard Bernstein's lifelong relationship with his wife, Felicia, played by Carrie Mulligan. Those two really are the axes upon which the entire universe hinges. You understand that Leonard Bernstein is a creative force and a genius in multiple disciplines, and they give you enough pieces for me. So that, that would be, for me, I would say, this style of biopic did a little bit better than Priscilla, where we essentially saw the shadow of Elvis on the stage once, not really in that movie ever totally understanding who he was outside of this relationship. That is not the case for Maestro. We see him a few different times. One of, to me, the best scenes in the film is his like magnum opus conducting in a cathedral and the way Bradley Cooper is pouring all of himself into there and actually fades into he you almost don't recognize him as Bradley Cooper in parts of that which is a transformational piece that I found incredibly impressive but this is really about these two people and you know that from the beginning because you start at the end where Leonard Bernstein is giving a late in life interview to a camera crew talking about how much he misses his wife and quickly you are flashed back into the later 40s the film switches to black and white for a period of time you see their meeting you see their connection you see both of them living rich lives outside the relationship you know that she was an actress of some repute who had her own presence and her own following so you understand who they were apart from each other, but this is who they were together and how they both enriched each other's lives and, and hurt each other through a period of time. Um, you know, if you know much about Leonard Bernstein, he was bisexual and throughout his entire life had affairs with men. You see that from the very beginning when you're introduced to young Leonard from where he wakes up and, and what he's going through. And you understand that she 
knew about that part of him and at least in the beginning of their relationship thought that that was something she could be okay with to help him reach his full creative potential but how much of a strain that takes on them as you move through decades of time somewhere as you start turning the corner from the 60s to the 70s in the film it switches back to color um you know i appreciated the costuming and and the way everything was put together some of the the luscious black and white shots in the first half of the film really stuck with me um some beautiful direction but this is really a showcase for these two performers and the way that he you know um I, I don't know if it'll change when it's actually on Netflix, but the screener I watched was in boxed in four by three. And I thought that really enhanced the tight shots of these characters. You have a lot of different times where you are tight in on either Leonard Bernstein's face or Felicia's face as she's sharing her stories, as you see these rich emotions. And when they, when they come together, there's always some form of passion on the screen, you know, whether that's passion in love and connection, or even the passion with which they fight and push against each other. Um, and it was just a beautiful portrait of these two people. I'm giving it two thumbs up. Um, it's way up there for me. Uh, I would agree with you that it's probably a film. I think it's either going to work for you and work big or it may not work for you. And it really depends. And I think that's when you go into these kind of biopics, what are you looking for from a biopic and does it give you enough to pull you in? I was emotionally invested in these two people because of the passionate fire of these performances. Beyond those two, I don't even think you get a real sense of any of the other people in the film. And that can be okay. Um, you know, we saw them do that with Priscilla. Beyond Priscilla and Elvis, you don't really have much of a sense of the other people. But if you're fully invested in that and if that pulls you in and works for you. And I thought they did enough here, like I said, in showing their lives outside of just that cloistered relationship and the passion in their work and the the you know who they were that it worked for me i was i was moved by the direction i also you know this is probably his second big feature film it's going to be clear you won't go to a directed by bradley cooper film if you're looking for a happy ending seems like it yeah uh, you know unless that wildly changes uh yeah yeah, and the a star is born was almost a similar. You understood their their skill apart, but it was really a bi a, a biopic without being a based on a true story of a relationship between two people that ebbs and flows, and they bring out the best and the worst in each other. And I thought the same thing, honestly, about Maestro. I think there is a lot to say for like companion pieces. Like like the these two stories, they I, I don't say they like one to one mirror each other. A double feature of this would be a lot to swallow of like similar feelings and heavy, heavy, heavy feelings. But like don't watch yeah. it on a day where you're feeling down. Right. Neither. Yeah. This um, isn't the one that you uh, dust off and fire up the old Netflix machine when you're done opening presents with the family. Yeah. Uh Maybe if you just like 
cut it off halfway through and pretend everything lived happily ever after. Like you, you end at the crescendo of the cathedral performance and they're, they're happy reuniting and just, just, just You'd probably pretend still the credits happen there. For grandma and grandpa and for the wee ones. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Questions um, you may, you may not want to answer. Yeah. But you know, just powerful. We're, we're kind of at the, uh, the stage in the year in the show where, uh, neither Eric or I are really talking about where this is on our year-end list because uh, you're in luck. Um, we will be taking next weekend off for Christmas, but we will be back on December 30th doing our top 12. But I would say that both of these films were surprisingly strong contenders for me in that consideration. Uh, and I'm going to be curious as I mull and I consider, and there are a couple of big films, uh, you know, maybe two big films that whose names fused together that came out in the middle of the year that I feel I need to rewatch now that I've seen all the other things that have come out just to, you know, cause there were so many gems during the summer and the middle of the year, mm-hmm. just wanting to go back and, you know, see everything. It's, it's been an incredible uh, stretch here and I'm, it's you know, crazy both these, both these films are very powerful, very, very different. Um, yeah. But that's kind of a celebration of where we're at. Films are back. Oh, I always love when we have a wide variety of different kinds of stories for different kind of audiences. That that sums up very perfectly what this week feels like. It, it, like just even the previews for silly movies like What If. Like I just there's a there's a grand. Which I'm all in. Me too. I don't know what it was about that, but like I they like that, and I still haven't seen American Fiction, so there's something exciting there about that. Like there are just these big projects that to me it just feels like whatever has happened in in with this balance of bringing in some independent films and with the Hollywood machine being back in full blast, it really feels like the potential of seeing big movies that feel like events that you're going to remember is back. Like Civil War, Alex Garland's Civil War. The trailer for that, mm. or that got on, got to me. Um, well, and we have uh, you know just a massive slate of seven seven films that are getting a wide release between now and the end of the year, at plus oh, yeah. limited releases that are going now, beginning of January and February. Some of the movies I've seen for four year um, consideration season are getting spaced out. Uh, it's you know, it's going to be a rich time and we still have some fun things that are coming even in early January. I'm actually, I've seen the trailer a couple of times. I'm moderately excited to see the remake of Mean Girls. I have which so is many questions 12th. about that I mean, movie. Second, second weekend in January. They just got the cast to come back and remake it as a musical. What? What? Well, new, younger. Character. Yeah, but so, Tina yeah. Fey is there, who's like well, the she primary wrote, she wrote the musical. voice. Right. No, I know, but she also wrote the screenplay for mm-hmm. the 2003 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think. she did the original and then adapted it. And yeah. Tim Meadows. Yeah, it's and it, Tim Meadows is back as the principal. Like it's gonna be fun. And there's some there are some big things, you know, that uh that are coming out on the uh the big and the small screen. So it's you know. It's been fun. You know, we we don't always do uh, TV shows, but there are a few that are coming out in the limited series, uh, the third part of Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks' uh, World War II 
uh, miniseries trilogy Masters of the Air comes out in January, which is about the Army Air Corps that has Austin Butler leading that cast uh, and a couple of oh. other. Um, Next pretty, year is going to be Austin Butler's well year, right? Between yeah. bike riders, which is the my bike riders got got booted into the summer and uh, Dune, Dune. Got, pushed didn't they put that i think feel like they put that in the spring didn't they or the yeah summer? it's it's it, i think it's March. spring yeah they didn't push it all the way back to next fall so yeah. a lot of fun things coming but uh eric and i are definitely excited about uh talking about what will be our top 12 of the year we will be back on uh december 30th which is a saturday a, a day early so that uh you don't have to worry about getting tipsy at the New Year's party and missing our words of wisdom on New Year's Eve. Uh, so we will be coming on Saturday and we'll be up on the podcast platform. Looking forward to that. We hope you guys all have a Merry Christmas. Eric, any uh, any Christmas gems that uh, people should be on the lookout for if they, they just want a classic? Don't say I think elf, I've already don't say elf, don't say elf, don't say elf. Um, I mean, it's the 20th anniversary of both Elf and um, Love Actually. Both of them have bounced back in theaters lately. Die Hard's actually back in theaters for the 35th anniversary right now. The holiday. I just saw that for the first time last year, and I'm really looking forward to it coming in the mail for a rewatch for this time. That movie is precious. I have uh, already rewatched Christmas Vacation twice uh, this month. Using it mostly as a palate cleanser after a series of droll uh, or depressing uh, screeners, and it never mm. fails to disappoint. So, whatever your holiday season uh, choice is, or if it's just getting to spend time with the family, I hope you have a wonderful uh, next week and have a Merry Christmas. And I can't wait to share our top 12 of the year with you when we get back. Yep. Until then, we will see you at the movies. <laughs>